Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Isaiah 52, verse 13, to Isaiah 53, to verse 5. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were atonished at you, his appearance was so marred, beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his bounds, we are healed. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 to 12, in the English Standard Version. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, he considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors.
Well, it would be great, wouldn't it, now to welcome up Andresh. Um, some of you will know him. Some, maybe, I think only a few might not know of him. But I, I want to just say very few words just to set him up really well because this is the first time he's doing a full preach. He did a tag preach uh, last year. He did a fantastic job. You may remember that. Um, Andresh is a wonderful, faithful, good-hearted man of God who's been serving brilliantly in our church for many years. And in particular, he leads as one of the leaders of our 18s to 30s ministry. And he's done a super job with that. And he's got a great message to share with us. But could we just set him up and give him a really warm and encouraging welcome as he comes up to share with us now. Come on. <laughs> Thank you, Howard, and hi, everyone. For those that don't know me, I'm Andres. I'm from Spain, so that's why I have this Antonio Banderas accent. <laughs> and I have the privilege to be serving in the 18 to 30s and also in one of the life groups that we have in this church. And today I have the pleasure to be bringing this Good Friday message from the book of Isaiah as part of the Bible in 12 Verses series. And as a church, we are journeying together through the Bible in 12 Verses series throughout the greatest story ever, the story of God and his relationship with humanity, with you and I. And this is a story of huge contrasts, because on the one hand, we learn more about ourselves and our rebellion against God and how we fail again and again and again to follow and trust him. But on the other hand, we also learn about God, who he is, his perfect holiness, his steadfast love, for you and his relentless pursuit of a relationship with us. And this contrast was creating a tension, a separation, because God's perfect holiness and love cannot marry our rebellion and sin in the same way that oil and water will not blend. And the consequence of our sin and rebellion is that we are left with a sense of guilt, shame, separation, even a sense of rejection by God and others. And by the time of Isaiah, it was already crystal clear that the solution to this separation could not come from the Israelites, could not come from humanity. So the book of Isaiah, written about 700 years before Jesus was born, is all about the message of God doing everything we cannot do ourselves to bridge that gap, to remove that separation, to enable relationship and fellowship between him and us. And what I find fascinating is that the questions that will be floating in the minds of the Israelites at that point in history are exactly the same questions that we keep making ourselves today. Questions such as, has my sin gone so far that my relationship with God can no longer be restored? Does God still want to reconcile with me? And even if he wants, can he? Am I not a lost cause? And one of my favorite questions ever, are God and his promises still true and relevant to me today, even if I have been neglecting him, dismissing him, or even rejecting him? So it was clear the answer to these questions could not come from us. It had to come from God. So all eyes were on him. All expectation was on God. And if you ask me, that is a really good thing because when we have important questions in life and when we go to God with those questions, he always has a good 
answer. So this message is going to be about us going through this poem that has just been read for us in Isaiah and see what is God's answer to these questions. What is his solution to this tension, to this dilemma between his perfect holiness, our rebellion, and his strong desire to have a relationship with us? And we're going to do so by going through the four beast response that I think God is inviting every single one of us to have today, which is behold, be grateful, believe, and be set free. So this poem from Isaiah starts with behold, my servant. And behold is a call to pay attention to this one that is going to be talked about. And in verse 52, 13, we read that the servant shall be high and lifted up. And high and lifted up are very significant words because they appear four times in the book of Isaiah. And in the three previous occasions, they always refer to God. So in essence, Isaiah is saying to us, please pay attention, do not miss a thing, because this servant that I'm going to describe is God himself. And what Isaiah describes about the character of this servant is utterly shocking. He describes this servant, well, the reason why he's shocking, sorry, is that actually this servant is the anticipated arm of the Lord. So he was the means, the muscle power, the strength, the agency, the way through which God had promised to Israel restoration and liberation. So pretty much a big deal. However, Isaiah describes this arm of the Lord in this poem as a servant, first of all, also compares him to a young, weak plant, and says that he is going to be despised by others. But Israel were waiting for a deliverer, someone that would be described as a mighty oak, not a young plant. They were hoping for someone forceful that would bring victory and restoration to them through strength and power over their enemies. With the advantage of time that we have now, we now know that Isaiah was speaking about Jesus when he was speaking about this servant. And we... If we think about it, when we think about a deliverer, we don't think about Jesus as a, as a first option. If we think about it, um, giving to others instead of getting the, from them, um, sacrificing ourselves instead of securing our comfort, and submitting our will to the Father's will, is not what our hearts are naturally inclined to. If we were to choose a deliverer, it would be uh, probably a mix between Captain America, uh, Superman, uh, Elon Musk, Einstein, like everything that looks impressive. But thanks God that he is the one that is in control and that his ways and his plans are better than ours. So for the mighty arm of the Lord, what God chose was to send his son in the form of a baby, in a humble stable, a tender baby against the Roman Empire. And that's what I call a good plot twist. Luis, Leanne, and Wendy, dear friends and members in this church, once gave me a gift with a quote from Hercules. And I think that quote is very fitting. The quote says that a true hero is a measure by the size of their strength, is measured by the strength of their heart. 
And the servant Jesus brought deliverance in a shocking way, showing us that down is up, that weak is strong, that death is life. And more on this will come on this Sunday's Easter preaching, so don't miss out. The servant Jesus achieved what seemed impossible, peace and reconciliation with God, hope for Israel and the nations, for you and I. And beholding the servant Jesus is crucial for us today, because in our times of trouble, our tendency is to get fixated in our problems. And sometimes all we need is to behold him in whom we are promised rest for our distressed souls. So let's move now to see how the servant Jesus accomplished reconciliation, because it is in beholding him that we will more clearly understand the how. How did he achieve salvation? How can sinners be reconciled with a God of love? How can God lovingly forgive and be righteously just both at the same time? My favorite musical is Les Miserables. It's such a wonderful story that shows us the good and bad of humanity in a very intense way, mainly through its main protagonist, Jean Valjean, an ex-convict who, after being released from prison, is trying to start life again. But he gets rejected by everyone. Every door is shut for him. People don't see him, they only see his past as an ex-convict. So struggling to find a way forward, he comes across the bishop of a convent. And this bishop actually welcomes him, accepts him, loves him, and provides for him. Jabaljan is obviously suspicious of this love that he is getting. He has already learned that he is on his own, that he cannot trust anyone else, that no one truly cares for him. So in that mindset, he decides to steal some very valuable pieces of silver from this bishop and to run away. And as he was running away, he got caught by the police in the middle of this crime. And the police bring him back to the bishop. And this is a very crucial scene. And te nine out of ten times I actually cried during this scene. The key question is, how will the bishop respond after having been so good to Jambaljan and in return being stolen from him? And the bishop's response is beautiful. He decides to show mercy, forgiveness, and compassion to Jean Valjean. And he says to the police that actually he had given those pieces of silver to Jean Valjean. But not only that, the bishop goes to his house, finds the most valuable piece of silver that he owns, gets back to where the police and Jean Valjean are, and gives that treasure possession to Jean Valjean. The police and Jean Valjean are speechless. They were witnessing incredible mercy when wrath was the logical response. And Jean Valjean is never the same man after that. After receiving this gift of grace, out of gratitude, he commits his soul to God and decides to live pleasing God and doing good to others. It's such a beautiful picture of God's grace. But this is only a shadow of what we have done to God and what God has done for us. We all have committed a crime of rebellion against God. And I want to stop here because I think that some of us may be thinking, well, Andres, I have done some little bad things here and there. 
But in the grand scheme of things, I think that I have been good. I have done more good than harm to others. Is it not too harsh to label me as someone that has rebelled against God or to say that I am a sinner? And I think that's a fair and good question. And that's why I think it's important that we stop and we check what is the definition of sinning to see whether it is fair to say that all of us have rebelled against God. So borrowing from John Piper's definition, sinning is any feeling, thought, speech, or action that comes from a heart of not treasuring God over all other things. In other words, what is sin? Sin is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not steamed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the promises of God not believed, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. If at least one of those statements apply to you, then I have some breaking news. You have rebelled against God. And the reality is that all of us have done all of those things because all of us have failed to trust and trust God over all other things. All of us are sinners. All of us have committed the crime of rebellion against God. And God's justice is perfect. So if there is a crime, someone must pay for that crime. The debt must be paid somehow. God really desires relationship with us, but something must be done with his holy wrath. And what God chose to do is to send his son Jesus to be the recipient of all that grace, of all the punishment that we deserved. The suffering and death that Jesus went through was absolutely necessary, but it was Jesus who took our slot on the cross. It was Jesus who was pierced for our transgressions. It was Jesus who was crushed for our iniquities. And it was Jesus who carried all the weight of our sin. And this is absolutely outrageous because Jesus obeyed God perfectly so it was not his rebellion, but our rebellion that he atoned in the cross. Jesus literally substituted you and I on the cross and died for our sins. Now, the wonderful news about this, and that's why we can say that today is a Good Friday, is that the sacrifice of Jesus fully satisfied God's justice and achieved what seemed impossible reconciliation, peace, relationship between you and God. And gratitude is, I believe, the only appropriate response to this grace that we have received, to this sacrifice from Jesus. The more we understand that we have personal rebel against God, the more we will understand that we were in absolute need of this act of grace. And the more we understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the more we will appreciate, value, and be grateful for 
what he has done for us. And another great thing about all of this is that for the sacrifice of Jesus to have its full effect in your life, you only need to do one thing, to trust, believe on his act of grace for you. Now, big warning, because we typically wish to make light of our shortcomings, to justify our mistakes, to deny our rebellion, but God will have none of it. All sin must be punished because all sin is personal rebellion against God. That's why Jesus came and substituted you and I on the cross and died for our sins. And let me highlight something. If you are feeling that you don't deserve this love and grace from God and this sacrifice from Jesus, I fully agree. You don't deserve it, and neither do I. The scandal of the cross is that it's all about God's love for you, not about what you have or you have not done to earn it. God is only asking you to believe and accept that Jesus came and died for your rebellion on the cross to set you free. This is his grace for you, freely available, if you accept this truth. Believe and receive the gift of life, freedom, and peace with God. And for me, the most mind-blowing element of this grace poem is that God actually wanted this suffering and death to happen to Jesus, to his son, whom he loved. This is what we see in verse 10, that this was not coincidence. This was not things getting out of control of, uh, by God. It was orchestrated. It was God's will. But not only that, in verse 11, we also see that Jesus was satisfied after his death and suffering. And I, I think we need to ask ourselves, how could Jesus be satisfied suffering unjustly for and in place of others? And the only reason why Jesus was able to go through all these things with such submission and obedience is because he knew that they were coming from the hand of his God and that he was achieving a great and good purpose. So God the Father and Jesus the Son, they were unified in purpose of one heart that the cost, the price, was worth it. And that purpose was to set you free from your rebellion. Isaiah closes this incredible poem, bringing this alive in verse 12, in which we see that it was he, Jesus, who bore the sins of many, our sins, and for their transgressions, our rebellion, he interceded. Jesus wants to intervene, to intercede today for you, to set you free from your rebellion and sin. Will you trust him? Jesus had his arms open wide on the cross, substituting your place there, receiving the full punishment that you deserve for your rebellion. But the story didn't end there. He rose again. He was victorious over death. And he's still today with his arms open wide, offering you free access to a relationship with God, giving you a gift of peace with him, of salvation, of freedom. Will you receive this gift? And before we finish this message, I want to share with you 
my own story of how God did set me free from one of my rebellions. Actually, I would say that you are currently witnessing to a living miracle that is the result of God's grace. And the reason why I say this is because actually a few years ago, I was totally crippled by social anxiety. So doing what I'm doing right now would not have been possible at all, or at least without having a heart attack. <laughs> and to give you a flavor of the degree by which I was trapped and shackled by social anxiety, you know that we have uh, most Sundays lunch after the service. It took me not weeks, but months to gain the courage to stay one Sunday for lunch, simply because I was panicking to sit next to people and chat to them. Also, I used to dread the moment in which it was time to say hi to the person next to you during the service, and I would always have a sudden urge to go to the loo at that time. And I used to hate it, strongly hate it, when after a service, people would come to me, usually with a smile on their faces, and say, hey, I don't think I have met you, what's your name? The irony of that is that now that's me, hunting newcomers down, trying to help them to feel comfortable and welcome in our church family. How life changes when we let God take the will. So what happened between then and now? I pretty much went through my own behold, be grateful, believe, and be set free journey. The story is that about three years ago, in one of my darkest moments in my life, when really, really important things were being stripped in my life, I became aware that I was making my whole life about my performance. At the root of it all, it was that I was trying to earn love from others and ultimately also learn love from God. But God showed me that he had paid the full price for me through Jesus, that I didn't have to earn it. I only needed to behold him and learn to receive his gift of love and grace. And by God's grace, I started embracing his gift, his love, his grace in my life. And as I did so, my mental narrative started shifting from me, 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 and my anxiety towards more of him and how my life fits into his bigger story. It was a journey, but my fear, my worry, my frustration with myself, my social anxiety was replaced by rest, peace, trust, hope, joy, and gratitude. I am absolutely a work in progress, and it would be a lie to say that I'm not a bit nervous right now as I'm speaking to, to you, but at the same time, I can say with confidence, with joy, with gratitude, that God has worked a miracle in my life that is undeniable, and that is only a result of his wonderful grace. But the amazing thing about God is that he doesn't want to stop there. He wants to keep making miracles amongst all of us, that's why he sent his son, Jesus, to substitute you on the cross. To, he wanted to reunite with his rebellious children to set them free. And you and I are the rebellious children. So this Good Friday, I want to leave you with one question. One question that I believe God wants to use to lead you towards greater healing, peace, and freedom. And this question is, where in your life is God inviting you to be set free 
from your rebellion and sin. I believe God speaks to our hearts and minds in these moments of silence, so please don't dismiss what he might, may have brought to you during those few seconds. But also I believe that God wanted me, to hi- wanted me to highlight three rebellions that we tend to fall into. The first one is a rebellion from accepting what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you. It may be that God is inviting you to fully accept and believe that Jesus died for your rebellion on the cross for the first time in your life, that you have rebelled against God, but that his love is greater than your rebellion. Also, I think that God wants to remind to several of us that his grace is sufficient for you. Today, in the middle of the struggles, battles, and circumstances that you are going through, don't dismiss what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you. Believe and receive his gift. The second rebellion is a rebellion from fellowshipping with God. Your fellowship, your relationship with God, has been bought at a price by the shedding of blood of Jesus. What is the next step that you can take to make the most of the privilege acquired at the cross of having free access to a relationship with God? And remember, God loves you so much that he paid the price of his son to make his relationship with you possible. And the third rebellion is a rebellion from serving God. Despite of his suffering, Jesus was satisfied because he was achieving the good purposes for his life in obedience to the Father. And God also has good purposes for your life that involve building up the church to continue setting people free. But let's be honest, our tendency is to say to God, not me, ask someone instead, ask me in three weeks, maybe we'll have a gap in my calendar. I can't, I don't want to. Our tendency is to rebel from serving God. Are you? Are you rebelling from playing your part? And let's be encouraged because when we trust and step in obedience into God's plans for our lives, we are also entering into the joy of his promises for us. So you serving God and his church is also you entering into the goodness of God's plans for you. Actually, I also wanted to add a fourth rebellion briefly to the mix, which is the rebellion from admitting our own rebellion against God. My hope and prayer is that God will lead us to stop rebelling so that we can start healing and becoming free in him. So to close this message, I want to read one Bible verse from Isaiah 43:19. Another, behold, another, pay attention. I think that God is saying to us today, to each one of you, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God is able 
and willing to make a new thing in you. Trust in him and in his good plans for your life. So to fully close this message, uh, I want to pray by reading one worship song that is called Million Little Miracles. So please close your eyes. Let's enter into the Father's presence as I read this worship song. All my life, I have been carried by grace. It's nothing short of a miracle. I'm here. I've got some blessings that I don't deserve. I've got some scars, but that's how you learn. It's nothing short of a miracle. I'm here. I think it over and it doesn't add up. I know it comes from above. I've got miracles on miracles, a million little miracles. You held me steady so I couldn't give up. You opened doors that nobody could shut. I hope I never get over what you've done. I want to live with an open heart. I want to live like I know who you are. I hope I never get over what you've done. I've got miracles on miracles, a million little miracles. Oh, you broke my chains. You saved my life. You set me free. You gave me victory. You get my mind, Lord. You heal my body, Jesus. Oh, I can even count them all because every day there's a new miracle. Lord, I know that you are able. Miracles on miracles. A million little miracles. Thank you, Jesus, for the miracles on miracles. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.